From Washington, D.C., across the nation and around the world, stand by for an overview of the hottest topics and people being discussed on air, online, at the coffee shop and across the backyard fence, powered by the research of Talkers magazine, The National Conversation. It's time for the Michael Harrison Wrap. Here's Michael Harrison. Thank you, Victoria Jones. Monday, May 23rd through Friday, May 27th, 2022. As we celebrate Memorial Day weekend, we look back upon a week of dark and disturbing memories as American societal violence once again takes center stage in the national conversation. There's an old expression in the popular music world regarding record charts, number one with a bullet. Well, this week, the Talkers chart of the most talked about topics reflects a deeply upsetting twist on that expression. Get ready for a powerful hour of Black Belt Talk Radio, during which your tolerance for hearing different but legitimate points of view will be tested. We've got lefties, we've got righties, and we have fence-sitters. Please don't get angry, just listen closely, and while doing so, maintain a degree of educated skepticism regardless of whether or not you agree. We'll be joined by Kevin Casey at Talkers with a countdown of the 10 biggest topics of the week. Todd Feinberg of WTIC in Hartford discussing the role of government incompetence and political corruption in the continuation of these terrible mass murders. Music radio talk show host Mike Bax Baxendale of Rock 102 in Springfield, Mass, on how he deals with the string of tragedies on his popular humor-based program. Firearms expert Tom Gresham of Gun Talk on the perspective of responsible gun owners. Dr. Dahlia Wax in Las Vegas on the latest COVID-19 news and what monkeypox is all about. Walter M. Sterling in Cleveland on how smartphones are rewiring our brains and the digital era is robbing us of our precious privacy. And Matthew B. Harrison at Talkers on what it means when we willingly sign those terms of service agreements forced upon us in fine print. Influential yappers from across the country with microphones, smartphones, and digital recording devices sharing their observations and the feelings of their target constituents with whom they do a daily dance of affirmation in a fragmented, noisy world where we try to avoid the modern-day syndrome of seeking victory at the expense of truth. Welcome to the Michael Harrison Rap, heard coast to coast and around the world on great radio stations across the U.S. and the U.K. The past week's hottest political and social topics discussed in the American talk media. Information is gathered from a variety of sources, including data tracked by the broadcasting trade publication Talkers Magazine, of which I'm editor and publisher. Okay, here we go. Joining us now is Kevin Casey, executive editor of Talkers Magazine. Kevin, give us a rundown of the 10 most talked about stories on talk shows in America this past week. Thank you, Michael. At number 10 this week, a tie between immigration and race relations. A Louisiana federal judge blocked the Biden administration's attempt to end the Title 42 health policy that allows rapid expulsion of illegal immigrants, keeping the policy in place for the time being. But the flood of migrants and the pressure building up on both sides of the southern border continue to fuel a humanitarian crisis. Although the racially motivated shooting murder of at least 10 African-American people at a Buffalo supermarket two weeks ago has been overshadowed by this week's Texas elementary school massacre, the emotional wounds of the tragedy remain fresh. The retired police officer killed while trying to stop the gunman was awarded the department's Medal of Honor at his funeral Wednesday in Buffalo. At number nine, Roe 
v. Wade. The pending decision by the Supreme Court to overturn Roe v. Wade has sparked legislative action on a state-by-state level across the nation. Several states, such as Oklahoma, Texas, Idaho, and Kentucky, are imposing new restrictions on abortion, while others, such as California, Connecticut, New York, and Maryland, are reinforcing their legal ability to provide the procedure. At number eight, U.S.-China relations. The Russia-Ukraine war has elevated concerns over China's tense relationship with Taiwan. A Biden administration official said on Thursday that U.S. policy on Taiwan had not changed after President Joe Biden appeared to suggest the United States would defend the island if it were attacked, which would be a significant departure from a long-held U.S. position of what is described as strategic ambiguity. At number seven, the Russia-Ukraine war. Although the Russian military effort appears to be falling short of its originally intended goals and timetable, the destruction and atrocities being perpetrated on Ukraine and its beleaguered people continue to horrify NATO and the Western allies. Military and political strategists say the danger of the conflict escalating beyond its present situation continues to grow with an endgame nowhere in sight. At number six, COVID-19 and monkeypox. Although most Americans just want to get back to whatever normal means these days, the COVID-19 pandemic remains very much in the news as its variants keep popping up and the stats of new cases continue on a new uptick around the nation. And now the world holds its breath as a dangerous disease called monkeypox, similar in many ways to smallpox, is popping up in nations across Africa, Europe, and now the United States. At number five, the economy. Inflation continues to rise, people are struggling to make ends meet, and economic signs point to a coming recession. Meantime, the baby formula shortage, though easing somewhat, remains a public health crisis in many parts of the nation and a continuing source of emotional stress for American families. At number four, the January 6th committee. Republican Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio is pushing back on a subpoena issued to him by the House Select Committee contesting the constitutionality of the request and outlining a list of demands the committee must meet in order for him to even consider complying. Jordan is one of five House Republicans, including House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Andy Biggs of Arizona, Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, and Mo Brooks of Alabama that have been subpoenaed. All have deposition dates scheduled over the next two weeks. In other January 6 news, former New York mayor and Trump attorney Rudy Giuliani reportedly met with the committee for more than nine hours. Woo. At number three, partisan politics and the primaries. Former President Donald Trump's image as a GOP kingmaker took a bit of a blow in Georgia, where his arch nemesis, Governor Brian Kemp, defeated his endorsed candidate, former Senator David Perdue. Trump has reportedly been questioning friends, advisors, and visitors at Mar-a-Lago about his potential rivals for the 2024 Republican presidential nomination, including former Vice President Mike Pence and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Is the former president's grasp on the GOP beginning to weaken? At number two, crime and violence tied with gun control. The terrible one-two gut punches of the racially motivated shooting massacre in Buffalo and this week's horrific tragedy in Uvalde. Aldi, Texas, have put the nation on edge, sparking a vigorous return of the partisan gun control debates that has both sides talking past each other. Will this latest tragedy be the straw that broke the proverbial camel's back? And at number one, the Texas school shooting. As we put the final touches on this week's program Friday morning, the nation remains stunned and horrified, and in a sense, numbed by the terrible murder of 19 children and two teachers at the hands of an 18-year-old gunman at Robb Elementary School. Everyone says something has to be done, 
but exactly what that something is remains both controversial and elusive in the face of an extraordinarily complex American cultural disease. Thank you, Kevin Casey from Talkers Magazine. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Let's dive right into the number one story of the week. Joining us is the afternoon host at our affiliate WTIC in Hartford, Connecticut, Todd Feinberg. Todd, I imagine uh, your show, just like most of the news talk radio shows across the nation this week, was uh, overwhelmed to one degree or another about the shooting in Texas. What has your position been on it, considering that um, you you approach things from a, a conservative and often a libertarian perspective. How do you deal with the, the issue of these shootings and gun control in general? Well, I plug it into what I'm always doing, which is trying to figure out and show for people so they can see it clearly how government works and how the political class operate. So it's been great. Chris Murphy, who's been all over the national news, is a U.S. senator from Connecticut, and he's he did the most effective, perhaps, pander on this, in my opinion, and fundraiser when he went to the Senate floor and and virtually cried about the uh, why nothing has been done on guns. And without regard for the efficacy of those gun proposals, I find it fascinating that Democrats all the way up the line to the president discuss only one option, and that's the option that they know works for them politically – and one that they know they're very unlikely to have success passing legislation on. And all of the other things. So so first day out, what I did was make a list of all the things we can think of in our society that are messed up that could lead to young men feeling alienated and slipping through not the cracks, but the huge crevices of our society to be able to commit these crimes with all kinds of trails left in advance and laws potentially being violated and nobody doing anything about it. And it's a long list. It is. It's a lengthy list of things we can think about. Do you think the Republicans also pander the same way politically to um, their constituents who um, see any type of regulation or increased regulation of guns to be um, the slippery slope away from the Second Amendment? Oh, sure. That was uh, beautifully demonstrated while Governor Abbott in Texas was having his press conference on Wednesday. And then his Democrat challenger, Beto O'Rourke, crashed it so he could get on national TV and try to get a Chris Murphy moment where uh, he would go viral with doing something that so. So, yeah, both because both sides are only representing their core constituencies who they want to keep motivated and not representing the best interests necessarily of the state or, or country they're representing, yeah, they do whatever they can do to charge up their base, and they ignore how bad it looks to everybody else. Watching um, Beto O'Rourke uh, pull that stunt, if we want to call it a stunt, was, was amazing to watch. That's the word. Yeah, because on one level, it looked like a, a cheesy political stunt. On the other level... It could be interpreted as a bold, brazen, populist move. It was, it was like both were happening at the same time. Was that your impression? Yes, and that's the binary I'm talking about, where it, because you're not worried about the people who aren't going to vote for you, you, you play to the people who will support you and will say, oh, look at better or finally somebody is bold enough. And the clip running from Governor Abbott from the same event was him getting emotional 
and talking about how unacceptable this was. And, and th- these are the little moments that we get manipulated by and that become our perception of what our political figures are doing as opposed to what they're actually doing, which is something that can be entirely different. Uh, you mentioned uh, young men feeling alienated and slipping through the cracks, no, the crevices of, um, of this confusion. How much of a role do you think uh, mental illness in America plays in this ongoing repetition of um, terrible shootings? I don't know if that's technically the right word, but I, I think when you when you can see that, for example, the, um, the the shooting from Buffalo, where you had somebody who, as a senior paper, asked to write about what their goals were for their future when they got out of school. He wrote about how he wanted to do a mass shooting. When there when there's that kind of institutional awareness of serious problems, and our institutions are largely neutered and don't pay any attention, run and hide, ignore, avoid. Maybe they call the FBI and the FBI loses the message or, uh, you know, some kind of government report, a whistleblower report with regard to baby formula. It's a different area, but, but I see this government breakdown as being one of the big problems. There was a whistleblower report that pointed out the problems with the Abbott formula, and it sat around for uh, months and even years without being brought to the guy in charge who needed to know. So you have this diseased culture, I think, across the board, where we no longer have efficacy from government because government isn't in the business of doing government anymore. It's just in the business of getting itself reelected. That's how I see it. How about uh, uh, violence in the culture, um, the uh, the video games, sports, um, just the, the nature of movies, Hollywood? This is an argument that's been going on a long time. Do you think that that plays into this? Yeah, I think it does. I think everything plays into it. You've got isolated kids, kids whose – we have no understanding, really, of what happens to a human when they're not raised by other humans and inside of a community, but instead are raised by these little devices that we stare at all day and how that changes emotional development and how vulnerable it makes one. And then, of course, you didn't mention it, but there's the whole drug issue and and kids being uh, drugged inside of their school systems, by their school systems, to get rid of behavior that's too edgy for the schools to be able to operate well, but might not be in the best interest of kids. There are side effects that have to do with some of these same issues that we're discussing that can lead to violence. So all these things, I think, play into it. And we don't discuss any of them. We just have politicians who act like they're morally superior because they bring up guns time and again. And the that's the one thing they know works for them politically, that but that will not achieve any substantive change. That's Todd Feinberg of her affiliate in Hartford, Connecticut, Heritage Station, WTIC. Coming up next, a view of the tragic school shooting and gun issue from the perspective of a radio personality who does a morning talk show on a big classic rock music station. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap.
One of the great bands of the golden age of album rock, Gun Hill Road, has been around for more than 50 years. The members of Gun Hill Road are Steve Goldrich, Paul Reich, Glenn Leopold, Brian Coonan, and yours truly, Michael Harrison. I wrote the lyrics to a song on our new album, What Year Is This? It's titled, I Know You're Real. It's about the relationship between human beings and our friends in the animal kingdom. I know you're real, I know you're real I understand that you're real Please take a moment to write down the following web address to see the music video of this inspirational song that contains some wonderful animal images that'll rock your heart and soothe your soul. Here's the address, write it down. I know you are real.com. That's I know you are real.com. If you love animals, you'll feel real good after seeing this video. I know you are real.com. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison rap. The Texas school shooting has been the key topic in the national conversation this past week, and it's being discussed not just on traditional news talk platforms, but just about everywhere. It's being talked across the backyard fence, the coffee shops, late-night TV shows, music stations, as well as, of course, news talk radio and cable news talk television. I caught up with one of the nation's most accomplished local talk show hosts who has been number one in mornings on a classic rock station, Rock 102, W. AQI in Springfield, Massachusetts, for the past 27 years. Mike Baxendale, known to his legion of fans simply as Bax. What have been the political, or let's just say the news stories that you've been covering, say, in the past week? And um, how do you handle them? What are your takes on these issues? Well, I think the, uh, the shooting in Texas is a big story uh, for everybody. Um, you know, it's a, it's a it's a multifaceted thing. Uh, whenever you have one of these uh, spree shootings, um, you know, on one hand you're talking about guns, on the other hand you're talking about mental health uh, and mental health of, of children, uh, and you know whether or not we're fulfilling our obligations as citizens on both ends. Um, and it is not as simple as one or the other. In fact, I don't think you can separate them. I think you have to look at both in order to get to the bottom of what really is going on and what is propelling certain people from acting out in this way. Um, and I think it's essential to to really focus on, you know, if you took guns out of people's hands, do you solve the problem? Do they necessarily – does it end spree shootings? Does it Does it end violence? Does it end – uh, you, you know, mental health issues. I, I have to say it's it's just not that simple. It's very complicated. That's a big one for us. Uh, you know, COVID uh, here in Massachusetts has been, uh, you know, like for everywhere else, you know, a, a, a very big issue. It affects our economy. It affects our hospitals. It affects the schools. Um, it affects us personally. You know, I've, I've had it. My partners have, have had it. People around the station have, have come down with COVID. We've all dealt with it thankfully we've you know all recovered but you know it it's you know it's a dramatic story that 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 really you know changes our culture and how we behave and how we uh you know interact with each other and how we you know view our health how do you handle the fact that your your show has so much humor and irreverence in it when you're dealing with something like the shooting of children or people dying in hospitals um is it a difficult juxtaposition to your your regular you know frolicking uh, attitudes is that hard to do on the air um 
if it's placed right, the answer is no. It's it's not hard. In in some ways, I think even in our darkest moments, uh, you know, we've needed humor to get us through. Um, to just focus on the the horrifying parts of this uh, of these two of these two news stories, um, you don't necessarily make fun of the tragedy or you know the the, the or the death. But if you're being if you're being if you're being human, um, then humor does come out sometimes in dark ways, but not to diminish the pain and the suffering of others. That's not something we do. But we do find ways of entertaining people amidst all of this discussion because that's also our obligation to our audience is to make sure that they – you know, they're going to get the information they, that, they, that they're looking for, but at the same time – you know, there's there's things in our lives apart from those things, and sometimes they're trivial, and sometimes they're stupid, and sometimes they're hilarious. We need those moments as much as we need anything else. He's a very interesting, thoughtful, and funny guy. It was great to get some insight into his serious side. One of the most successful radio personalities in New England, recently inducted into the Massachusetts Radio Hall of Fame, Rock 102 Springfield's morning host, Mike Bax. Baxendale. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. We'll have more conversation ahead about the tragic Texas school shooting and politically controversial gun issue. But first, COVID-19 continues to make waves in the national conversation, as well as in the increasingly beleaguered American psyche. And now we have a thing called monkeypox. What's that? You know, sometimes I think we're at a point in the pandemic whereby the medical establishment is so overwhelmed by the complexity of it all and the spectrum of opinions being bounced around within the medical profession. Uh, realizing this is, is a sobering revelation for those of us who are not doctors and are just trying to figure out what to do in terms of our personal health and the well-being of our families. Joining us for an update is one of Talk Radio's leading physicians. She's a member of the Talkers Heavy 100, her daily on the Genesis Communications Network, Dr. Dahlia Wax. We're still in the COVID era, and uh, now we have a new thing to worry about called monkeypox. Let's start with monkeypox. What the hell is monkeypox? Well, fantastic question. So monkeypox was discovered in the 50s. I mean, it could have been around before then in monkeys. And then human cases showed up around the 1970s. And it's a very, very similar illness to smallpox where somebody feels sick, they get ill, and then they get these big vesicles on them. Kind of similar also to chickenpox, but not supposed to be as contagious. The concern with monkeypox is that it started from animals. It could be in prairie dogs, squirrels, a whole variety of animals, which makes me wonder if they're going to change the name and not call it monkeypox anymore. But it could also spread from an animal to human and then from humans to human. And even though monkeypox has been around, and we usually see it in some of the African countries in Central and West Africa, we're seeing this outbreak that is now spreading across Europe, going into America, Canada, and it's making people a little edgy. One working theory is our immunity has been suppressed because of all the masks and lack of social distancing and, you know, COVID restrictions. But another one, which I find very fascinating, is I have a big nasty scar on my arm in the 70s from smallpox vaccination. And they stopped smallpox vaccines, and understandably so, because smallpox was not a threat um, by 1980. 
and they believe that we're going to see monkeypox spread in those that were never vaccinated for smallpox, as the viruses are very similar. So those, I remember um, back when I was a kid, a lot of people had those marks on their arm that was like a crater. It, it, um, is that what we're mm-hmm. talking? Was that a smallpox vaccination? Yep. I, that was a smallpox vaccine, and it left a scar so the government could know who was vaccinated and who wasn't. Wow. And um, what would the, did they give it to children back in those days? We're talking, I, I imagine we're talking about the 50s and 60s. Am I correct? The 70s? Mm-hmm. Now, so I was born in 71. Oh, wow. And so I got mine, and I believe they stopped doing it in the United States in 1972. I can't say for sure. But I think 72 was when they started, when it started to go out of favor, and they started to then end it. So, yeah, a lot of, a lot of us older Generation Xs or baby boomers have have that mark on our arms. So uh, are you suggesting we might be seeing a whole new round of vaccinations for monkeypox that are similar in nature to uh, the smallpox vaccinations back in the day? Yeah, it's a great question. So right now, some countries in Europe are considering, um, because all we have is the smallpox vaccine, they say that the smallpox vaccine should work against monkeypox. And they are considering that if this does continue to grow and spread, that people in high-risk communities, men who have sex with men, those communities might need to be vaccinated. We have yet to see, though, if this does spread beyond um, the pop. They, they're, they're kind of thinking that this might have started from two raves that happened in Spain and Belgium within the gay community, which is why they might be considering a vaccination program for, for gay men or men who have sex with men. But if they find that this does spread you know, you know, throughout the general population that wasn't involved, you know, in these raves, um, you know, doctor to patient, et cetera, they might have to consider a vaccination uh, program. But it's very, very early even in considering it. Oh, boy, that sets up a whole set of sociological problems that we uh, we dealt with so uh, intensely back in the uh in the uh, in the eighties, I believe, in the nineties, rather, back in the nineties. Oh gosh, um, yep. If I recall, smallpox was a deadly disease. Is monkeypox on that same level? Yes, it can be. You know, it can. Um, uh, sadly, some of these cases can cause pneumonia, can cause uh, sepsis. Some of these people are are ending up in the hospital, um, and uh, for some, they might it might be mild, just maybe fevers, some muscle aches, fatigue, headache, um, this rash that's very pustular. But um, you know, some people you know are ending up in the hospital. So we're we're just so new, and we're not getting a lot of information on these cases yet. And we all want to know, but they're very slow to publish. Mm-hmm. So we, we can't necessarily say who's in the hospital, how many are in the hospital, how many were at this rave, how many, you know, might have, um, you know, been in close contact with somebody who went to the rave. So it's, uh, but but it is very, very odd that we're seeing it in multiple countries and at least 90 cases thus far, maybe more. So um, hopefully in the coming days, we get some more information. When you use the term rave, for those in our audience who may not know what the, the term means, we're talking about a big party, right? Uh, is a rave. Yes, a big party, which I, and, and um, um, you know, raves can include drugs, they can include sex, or just some really good music. Mm-hmm. But there, th- this one is being implied that it was a, um, <laughs> it might have had all three. <laughs> oh, gosh. Now, what about uh, what about uh, the variants that have been uh, causing the numbers to have an uptick in terms of COVID-19? Mm-hmm. 
So, you know, I I know they, they have all these names. You know, BA1 was the, the main Omicron, then BA2 was considered stealth, and now you have the BA2.121. For me, I think of Papa Omicron, Baby Omicron, and Grandbaby Omicron. And mm-hmm. Grandbaby Omicron, from the same Omicron lineage, is the one that seems to be the most uh, prevalent now. And what's what's been very challenging with this COVID pandemic is even though we're seeing less severe cases and less hospitalizations, still hospitalizations but less, is we're seeing some unique issues with Paxlovid, the medication used to treat COVID. With Paxlovid, we are seeing a rebound COVID. I'm seeing it even without the Paxlovid, but Paxlovid is a medication to treat COVID and help keep people out of the hospital or have a COVID death. But people are complaining that after their COVID treatment, a week or two later, they get COVID all over again. So the CDC has to, had to come out to say, look, just re-isolate. You know, don't necessarily take another round of COVID. It did what it's supposed to, but it's not going to necessarily squash it. So now us in the medical field are concerned, is it going to brew resistance? Is it going to be money not well spent to try to you know, deliver it and administer it. And another issue with Paxlovid that a lot of people don't realize is if they, if a person takes Viagra, if a person takes Lipitor for cholesterol, if a person is on a heart medication, if a person is taking Xanax, you can't take Paxlovid. It's contraindicated. So Paxlovid cannot be given to people on very common medications. And I guess the Biden administration would like to have this test and treat where if you test positive, you get handed a prescription Doctors have and pharmacists have to be very, very careful on who gets it, because if you lie about not taking a certain medication and you take that medication, that could be highly, highly dangerous. That's incredible. This is getting so complicated. Um, Are are we better off than we were a year ago? Worse off? I mean, that's kind of a a, a dumb question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Which way do you think this is going? Just your own gut feeling as a person involved in watching this with the uh, extra knowledge of a doctor? Oh, it's a fa- actually, it's a fantastic question. Um, we are better off than we were um, a year, two years ago, but we're running into the problem that, that a lot of times we do is the more we know, the more we realize, the less we know. Mm-hmm. And so we make these moves going, we have it, it works, and in science, you don't do anything right away. You have to watch, you have to see what happens over time, and then make judgments. And so we're better off in terms of COVID and hospitalizations. We're not better off in terms of government making the same decisions over and over again, where they rush to judgment. And now it takes us doctors going, hey, guys, if you have liver issues, if you have kidney issues, you need a different dosing of Paxlovid. You can't just get it willy-nilly if you're on this medication. You know, and, and, and the government is doing something without doctors. Doctors being consulted, um, especially us doctors that work in the trenches, that can actually help guide the guidance. That's respected radio physician heard daily on the Genesis Communications Network and a woman in whom I have a great deal of trust and confidence, Dr. Dahlia Wax. I don't mean to be a messenger of doom and gloom, but we've got a perfect storm of bad stuff going on right now. The Texas school shooting and the epidemic of mass murders that preceded it, the pandemic from hell, the atrocities and international threat of the Russian-Ukraine war, the runaway rising cost of keeping the wheels turning, the stove burning, the investments earning, and a baby formula shortage. No wonder people feel like crap. Nobody can get a break. 
you know, there are 100 million gun owners owning 400 million guns in America. And we all grieve, I mean, truly grieve when something like this happens. And it's really hard to get your, your head around it. At the same time, you think, well, you know, we have 100 million gun owners who did not do this. And frankly, the first response is, I greatly resent somehow being blamed for the work of a madman. Coming up next, we'll check in with one of the leading experts on guns in American talk radio. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison Wrap. This report is brought to you by Genesis 2 Project, G2P. Recently, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the ODNI, released a preliminary report on possible threats posed by UFOs, now known as Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, UAP, and the progress the Department of Defense, UAP Task Force, has made in understanding any threats. Dr. J.C. Van Velkenberg is a former Los Alamos National Lab biophysicist who has been working with G2P to bring scientifically sound UAP data to the public. G2P has released the first scientifically authenticated documentation of UAPs, including images captured with infrared technology. Primo Forensics performed the digital forensic analysis. In tandem with the ODNI report, these data support the development of relevant processes, policies, technologies, and training for the U.S. military and government personnel upon encountering UAP. Visit Genesis2Project.com. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Wrap as we discuss the hottest topics of the past week in the national conversation. We caught up with one of radio's leading experts on guns, the host of Gun Talk, Tom Gresham. We spoke to Tom on his cell phone at Denver's airport as he was running to catch a plane between flights. Tom, you've been talking about guns on the radio for years. You're one of the leading authorities and you're my favorite go-to guy when it comes to this topic. What is the feeling of the average gun enthusiast and the average gun owner about these ongoing tragedies? What, what is the feeling within the gun community among those that are legitimate gun owners? Well, Michael, it's, it's a multi-response on the whole thing. You know, there are 100 million gun owners owning 400 million guns in America, and we all grieve, I mean, truly grieve when something like this happens, and it's really hard to get your, your head around it. At the same time, you think, well, you know, we have 100 million gun owners who did not do this, and frankly, the first response is, I greatly resent somehow being blamed for the work of a madman just because we happen to own the same kind of object. You know, there are between one and a half and two and a half million self-defense gun uses every year. That is, people use guns in self-defense in the United States roughly two and a half million times every year. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And so you offset that with this, as horrible as it is, and you say, you know, I refuse to take any sort of responsibility for this. And at the same time, we're working really hard to kind of to preach 
the gospel of smart, responsible, safe gun handling and storage. So, yeah, that's kind of where we are. Do you think the National Rifle Association does enough to um, to to work hard in that regard, and also to keep itself um, out of uh, being a target of criticism for um, you know somehow being responsible for all of this? I mean, what, what what is their perspective? I know you don't speak on their behalf, but you obviously are quite plugged into their activities. Uh, yeah, clearly, I do not speak for the NRA. Um, you know, I guess the, the response would be the NRA has nothing to do with this. Nothing. Uh, NRA has taught, they have 50,000 certified firearms instructors. They've taught tens of millions of people safe gun handling. And to somehow say, well, what are you doing about this? Well, for a hundred years, we've been teaching gun safety, safe gun handling, safe gun storage. What do you mean? What are you doing about it? We've been doing this for a century and no one's ever given us, the responsible gun owners, any credit for that. Are you um, interested in supporting any type of tweaking or realigning of gun laws in terms of uh, avoiding maniacs from getting guns? I've been studying this for 50 years. I have never seen one example where a single gun control law has ever reduced crime. Not one. We've tried every form of gun control possible in the United States, from licensing to registration to background checks to even to confiscation. Nowhere has gun control laws had they ever reduced crime. So my position is it is senseless. And in fact, it is the very definition of insanity to keep trying to do the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. Gun control does not reduce crime. And in point of fact, these people who are doing these things love the limelight. When we put up billboards on CNN and Fox and everywhere else, the second worst, you know, massacre since uh, Sandy Hook. Well, that's just encouraging people to say, well, I can do better than that. And even in their manifestos and in their work, they say they're trying to have a higher body count. We, the media in this country, are actually responsible, at least in some part, for this horrible situation. It's a tricky situation, though, because, you know, to quell this type of thing would be to repress information. And I'm sure you, you see the, the, the paradox in that equation. Clearly, as a journalist, as a, a media guy, I get that. You know, and then today, and I knew this was coming, today, breaking right now as we're speaking, we're starting to get the first reports of what actually really happened. And that is that the police waited 40 to 60 minutes before they went into that school while children were being murdered. They're sitting outside, waiting for backup, waiting for support. In, in this situation, the police have developed something they call the stopwatch of death. And that is, for every click of the t- clock, people die. You do not, you do not wait outside. You just rush into the middle of it because every second means people are dying or people are being saved. It is unconscionable to think that they waited as much as an hour to go in. I thought we learned that lesson way back from Columbine and then Marjorie Stoneman, where the police hid outside, literally hid outside before they went in there. You know, the only way you're going to stop this guy is you shoot him. And the way you do that quickly is for somebody in the school or maybe multiple somebody in the school to have a gun and have the training to be able to protect those children. That's Tom Gresham, the host of a long-running nationally syndicated radio program called 
Gun Talk. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Although Elon Musk's adventures with Twitter did not make the talkers top 10 this week, there was much talk about the internet and social media on talk shows across America about the impact of smartphones and modern communications technology on the human psyche. I was a guest on the very popular nationally syndicated Sterling on Sunday program hosted by Walter M. Sterling, in which we were talking about the impact of smartphones on the human brain. During the conversation, I mentioned that it's turning humanity into a technologically induced telepathic species. Here's an excerpt from that conversation. You said, be careful. We are not at the, the height or at the tail of the innovation that will impact our brain and are wiring our brain. You said, we're just, we're at the beginning. We're just at the beginning. And I agree with you. We are just at the beginning. I believe that when you, me, anybody looks back 50 years, 100 years, we'll look at this moment in time as as quaint. The internet just started. We'll look at it as... You mean, oh, we can have FaceTime now? We can see a relative on our computer screen? That's been true for five years. That's it. Five years. And the world will look back on this time as quaint. Absolutely. 20 years from now, it'll it'll seem like, you know, the 1800s. Um, smartphones that are so modern now will will look like clunky old instruments that we carried around with us. We're burdened down with these things. You know, when you see somebody walking down the street, we we, we often see it. And the joke used to be back in the old days, when a person was talking to themselves, you thought they were crazy. You know, you'd see, especially in places where there were a lot of people, where there's more of a preponderance of different types, you'd see people talking to themselves, walking down the street, and you just make room for them. Now, uh, a person walking down the street is talking and you accept that that they're having a conversation with somebody in the world maybe they have those earbuds in their ears so you don't see the wires hanging out of their ears there's nothing you know impairing their hands or wires on them the phone is tucked away in their pocket and they're walking down the street talking to somebody well isn't that a form of telepathy that, that, you know, they're hearing in their head another voice from somewhere far away over the air. Not, you know, there's no wires attached to it. It's not, it doesn't come in an envelope on paper. It's not delivered by a truck. And not only could they have a person talking to them and talking back to a person, they could be listening to a concert. They could be listening to a ball game. They, they could be plugged into anything. Well, that is going to seem quaint because we're, we're rapidly approaching everything from, you know, the, the metaverse, which is coming. We're going to have virtual worlds in which we can sit and be with each other in a way that is not real, but feels real. And if it feels real, well, you know, it's like that drum you hear, that saxophone that you hear in your head with your with your earbuds, that feels real. Well, the, the, the sight, the sound, the smells, the touch, the feel will seem real. And it's getting increasingly difficult to understand the difference between reality, reality, and virtual reality. Add a little bit of artificial intelligence to that. We're on the verge of an entire new society. And again, I go back to what I said before. We're becoming telepathic. We're becoming a technologically induced telepathic species. We're not really telepathic, just like 
but you know, if I say I'm going to fly out to California from New York, I, I haven't sprouted wings. I'm not flying. I'm flying via. I am a technologically induced bird. That's what I am. I'm a technologically induced rocket. And now we're going to become technologically induced telepathic, and that's going to change everything. The one thing that we have to watch out for, because a lot of good is going to come from this, but the one thing that we have to desperately contain is something that will be lost as a result of this. And I don't know if we could ever get the genie back in the bottle, and that is a loss of privacy. And the loss of privacy is very much just as if we lost the First Amendment, a loss of freedom. So I'm concerned about that aspect of this whole scenario. The privacy was lost when CompuServe went online. The privacy was lost when Facebook went online and MySpace went online. At that moment, the privacy stopped. And I would suggest the privacy stopped actually before that with the advent of data banks that could send out direct mail. All of this is part of that process. You're absolutely right. But it's it's getting it, it's getting worse. And I and I have to use a judgment word on that worse. It, it, it is a problem. Um, and very few people are willing to forego the benefit of losing their privacy. We, we sign papers, we sign documents, we don't read the fine print because if we read the fine print and we say, no, we don't have access to the tools we need to live like a normal human being in this new society. You, you, you know, go off the grid, lots of luck. Um, there are also cameras everywhere feeding into central computer banks. You always are being uh, surveilled. When when you're walking down the street, they're watching you. When you're in an elevator, you're being watched. You, you better be careful where you scratch and uh, what kind of sounds you emit. It's terrible in terms of finding space where you're not being monitored, followed, scrutinized, and targeted. That's an excerpt from a conversation I had last weekend on the Sterling on Sunday show hosted by Walter M. Sterling. To hear more of it, check out my podcast at mhinterview.com. We have time for a few more words as I turn to our producer, attorney and law school professor, Matthew B. Harrison, the associate publisher of Talkers. Matthew, you're a um, you're an expert on law and you deal with media, you deal with intellectual property. So I'm sure a lot of the things that uh, I was talking to Walter Sterling about uh, were of interest to you. But um, uh, do you find that people just say accept when they have to um, say yes to the terms of service or what they agree to with just about every new service that you hook up with on the internet. Um, people don't people don't stop and read the fine print anymore, or for the most part. But what, what's your finding on that? It was certainly provocative what you were talking about with Walter M. Sterling, um, just for the record. But uh, yeah, in regards to what you're saying about privacy, I, I don't think people are reading the terms of service. I don't think people are um, reading all of the the license requirements and everything. They're they're, they're cl quickly clicking on it, which is why uh, manufacturers and, and vendors make you have to click that you've read all the way down, you scroll through it, it's multiple pages, it's a process. Um, they're trying to, to give you every chance you can to read it. Not like you have any power to negotiate about it, because you don't. Um, they set the terms. But uh, I don't know if that would hold up uh, as well as a bargain for contract or a bargain for exchange. What's a bargain for contract or a bargain for exchange? What does that mean? 
Well, that's sort of the model that's what's happening in Europe, where uh, a, an entity has to tell you the data that they have, and and sort of you can decide whether or not they can use it or not. Um, you have a right to to share your stuff or not, and um, therefore you're making a, a, a conscious deal. You're either giving up your privacy or you're not. Um, to use their service or certain levels of their service or functionality of their service, and uh, a lot of a lot of this is not just losing privacy; it's making commitments to them that you don't realize you're making, both in terms of obligations, some of which are financial. Correct. Uh, certainly, uh, the subscription method being applied to uh, online commerce, uh, apps and games and things, um, you, you end up uh, getting a free trial for two or three days and forget, uh, but then they suddenly bill you for a year uh, or two years or five years or something ridiculous like that. That's our producer, media attorney Matthew B. Harrison, law professor and vice president and associate publisher of Talkers. And that about does it for this latest installment of the Michael Harrison Wrap, an overview of the national conversation looking back at the week of Monday, May 23rd through Friday, May 27th, 2022. Looking ahead, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next week, including the ever-lurking unknown factor that unanticipated surprise story that can take the national conversation spinning off in a totally unexpected direction. We sure do live in interesting times. I can be reached via email at michaelatalkers.com. My podcast, The Michael Harrison Interview, can be heard at mhinterview.com. And if you want to stay in touch with the inner workings of the talk media industry, please visit talkers.com. The Michael Harrison Wrap. Our producer is Matthew B. Harrison. Thank you for listening. The Michael Harrison Rap is a production of Good Phone Communications presented in association with Talk Media Network and Talkers Magazine. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved.